Good morning. Um, yeah, another crazy week. How about you? Yeah, they, you know, it seems like they just keep coming. Um, for those of you who don't know me, hang on, I'm turning this thing on. Okay, for those of you who don't know me, I am Tom Hall. I'm one of the elders here, um, even though I'm not that old. Um, you know, it seems like they'll let anybody do this job. Um, uh, yeah, let's pray so we can get this going here. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for all of the things that you are doing um, here in our little church, in our little town, in our country, and in our world. Lord, help us to look for where you are working and join you there. Ask that you would bless this word that we are going to try to decipher this morning. Lord, may your Holy Spirit interpret to us what you want to say. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I'm a little scattered, so if this comes out jumbled, um, God's going to fix it between my mouth and your ears. So, last week, we took a look at most of the parables and we kind of pulled a couple of threads out there that not only run through the parables, but also run through the entire scriptures. Um, God is calling to the people of his world to stop looking to the things of this world to fulfill them, fill their hearts, and cure their longing in their souls. To recognize that time and this world are finite and will come to an end. When that end comes, there will be a separation. Those who have called upon the grace of God, believing in Jesus for salvation through his death, burial, and resurrection will be welcomed into his eternal presence. And those who reject God and his sovereignty will get what they have chosen and be separated from him for eternity. None of this is fun. These are hard truths. They're not easy to talk about, but it's in the book. It's part of God's word, and we don't get to pick and choose the parts that we like and the parts that we don't. We must heed the warning and take God at his word. Okay, I got that out of the way. It wasn't easy for me last week either. Okay, this week... We are looking at the end of chapter 13. Did you think we'd ever get here? How long have we been in the book of Matthew and we're just finishing up 13? Okay. We are looking at verses 53 to 58, and I'm going to read them again. Yes, I know, Cheryl Ann just read them, but I'm going to read them again. You ready? Oh, you got a pew Bible in front of you uh, that should match the version that I'm speaking from here. And we're going to be mostly in chapter 13, so you could just open it there and put your finger there, and we should be good to go. Again, I don't have visuals for you this morning. Life has just been too busy. I apologize. All right. Verse 53, chapter 13. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? 
Are not his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all his sisters with us? But then where did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many money works there because of their unbelief. Okay, did you get that? Okay, we're done. No, wait. All right. So, where was Jesus prior to this? Capernaum. Okay, we talked about this. He was uh, in Capernaum. He was hanging out on the beach. He taught, you know, taught all these parables to the people. And then he heads home. He heads up into the hill country to his hometown of Nazareth. And when he gets there, he starts to teach in his local synagogue. So when he went home to Nazareth, he took his disciples with him. And I'm not sure what his mom thought about him bringing a bunch of gnarly homeless dudes home with him, but that's a question for another day. Okay. So he goes home, starts teaching in the local synagogue, and the people become astonished. What does that mean? It means feeling or showing great surprise or wonder. He surprised them, and they were wondering. Want to know why they were wondering? They wanted to know where he got this. See, Jesus never traveled very far from home. I did some digging, and he was never during his ministry more than a few days' walk from home, maybe like 60 miles. Okay, by today's standards, that's not very much, but when you're walking, that's a ways, right? How many of you have ever walked 60 miles in three days? I've come close, but I haven't done 60 miles. I've done about 50. Anyway, so... He was never far from his hometown, and it's not like he went away to college. How many of you have been away to college? Okay, you got your degree, you did your thing, and you go back to your hometown. How do they treat you? Like you're the same person that left four years ago or eight years ago, depending on how high in the education ladder you went, right? I know my mother, it didn't matter how long I'd been gone or where I was or whatever. When I came home, I was still Tommy. I was her little boy, and she needed to tell me everything to do and, you know, how to get dressed in the morning, how to brush my teeth, all those kinds of things. I'm sure they looked at Jesus the same way. Here's the thing. He wasn't that far away, and there was quite the word-of-mouth news uh, organization, if you will, he was never far enough away that they didn't know where he was or what he was doing. They knew who he was hanging out with, especially they knew about him and his crazy cousin, that guy that was hanging out down by the Jordan River and saying, hey, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And what happened to him? He got thrown in jail. Okay, this is who he's been hanging out with. They also know, yeah, where he was, what he was doing, and where the crowds were and how big they were. So if you look at Matthew 4.23, you don't have to look it up. I'm going to read it for you. 
says, and he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. There was a bunch of people knowing who he was, where he was, what he was doing, what was going on. They knew all of that stuff. They also knew that he was going around disrespecting the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. He's offending a whole bunch of people, especially the religious elite. It's who he had his strongest words um, against were the religious elite. Remember? Okay. So, they knew where he was, they knew what he was doing, they knew the crowds he was drawing, they either saw or heard the miracles, and they are still wondering, where did he get this stuff? It says in verse 57 that when he was speaking, they got so astonished that they were offended at him. The fact that he filled them with awe and wonder when he taught at the synagogue offended them. And what was Jesus' reply? A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. Now he's calling himself a prophet. Okay? So we just added another layer of offense on top of that, right? Okay? Here's the thing. These people knew a lot about Jesus. His father was a carpenter. His mother was Mary. His, his um, brothers, all of his brothers, they knew their exact names. They knew where they were, by the way. James and Judas, Jude, they put books into the New Testament. So these were not just regular guys. They knew who they were. And all their sisters, they lived in the neighborhood. They knew them. They know this whole family, right? So here's the thing. Where did he get the wisdom? Where did he get these miraculous powers? They are very confused. The people knew a lot about Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus. Do you know anybody like that? Have you been someone like that? Jesus is a historical figure. He did some things and he went away and now there's a whole bunch of people wound up in a church about what Jesus was and where he went and what he did, right? It's different than knowing Jesus. Okay? They knew his family, but they weren't really the right kind of people. How could the Messiah come from that family, right? They heard him speak wisdom, but they only questioned where he got it from. Where did he learn it? They saw or they heard about the miracles, but they only wondered how. How do you do that? Instead of looking at him and understanding him, 
They only wondered how and why. They saw him, they heard him, but they just could not understand him. Seems like we're back to the beginning of chapter 13. Remember when Jesus answered the disciples' question about why parables? When he quoted the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verse 9, where he said, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. So at the end of chapter 13 in verse 58, it says, and he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Or the way Mark puts it, in chapter 6, verse 5, he says, And he could do no mighty works there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. It's funny how that sounds like an aside. Oh, he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. But other than that, he could do no mighty works there. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled at their unbelief. His, their unbelief was something that he, that really he took him back. It's like, wait, why don't, why don't they believe? Unbelief seems to be here stifling Jesus' miraculous powers. Or is it? Is unbelief blocking his power? Or is unbelief stopping the recipient from receiving his blessing? If they don't believe he could do the miracles he could do, or if they don't believe he should be able to do the miracles he could do, does that somehow block his ability to do them? Let's look at Mark chapter 9. There's a story of a father who is desperate to help his son. His son probably has epilepsy from the description of what was going on with him, and he's been to all the doctors, he's been to all the priests, he's gone to everyone he knows to go to for help, and then he goes to Jesus' disciples. And they couldn't cast out this demon. The commotion draws a big crowd and a whole bunch of fuss, and then Jesus shows up. And he asks the father, sorry, verse 21, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Now, I've looked into that, that, yeah, rebuke, if you will, that Jesus uses there where he says, if you can. And depending on the inflection, it can mean several things. It can mean, 
if you can, like you're questioning whether or not I can, or it can mean if you can, if you can do anything, because all things are possible through him who believes. Or in other translations, they say, if I can, if I can, you're questioning me? It says, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately, the father of the child cries out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Anybody been there? If I'm honest, I have been there a lot where I look at what's going on and I look at what's happening and I look at what needs to get done and I look at the circumstances I need to get out of and I know I can't do this. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Unbelief, if we're honest, is something we all deal with at times. Amen? Okay, now let's get a few things straight. When he says all things are possible for those who believe, what he is not saying is, name it and claim it. He's not saying that we can have whatever we want if we just believe hard enough. That's not how it works. God is not a cosmic vending machine that if we just put in the right amount of belief, we'll get what we want. As we have seen, belief and knowledge are two very different things. Sometimes we try to interchange the two. We try to interchange what we know about Jesus for knowing Jesus. We try to interchange an intellectual assent for belief. Amen? Our faith needs to be in God's goodness and his sovereignty. Our faith, our belief, needs to be in God's will. When our greatest desire is to live in God's will, all things are possible. When we are focused 100% on trying to do what God wants us to do and to see his will accomplished, what are we asking for? We are asking for his will to be accomplished and all things are possible in that. <sighs> Sorry, I am really <laughs> jumbled up here. Our unbelief or our hardness of heart, our dullness of heart, as we saw in Isaiah, those things cannot stop the power of God to accomplish his will. Our faith and our belief allows us to see his will and accomplish his purposes in our lives. So I want to call us back just a little bit to what we talked about last week, about understanding. If we understand what God is communicating to us in the parables, if we understand that at the end of time there's going to be a separation, if we understand that if we believe, if we have 
faith, if we are not struggling with unbelief and watching for his will, things can be accomplished. All things can be accomplished. Correct? Okay. When I was doing full-time ministry a number of years ago, one of the things that I did as I was discipling young people was I said something over and over again, and some of them will nod their heads here this morning. A belief is not a belief until it alters your behavior. Correct? Lisha, are you there? Okay. I was expecting you to... Okay, it's fine. Everything's fine. Last year, well, this year, during the Lent season, we had a special prayer vigil, correct? We prayed 24 hours a day every Thursday during the Lent period. How many of you were signed up for a time period for that? Okay. And we covered the clock. I was pretty impressed with that. I took 11 p.m. to 11.20. That was my 20-minute time slot. And, you know, it was amazing that as I set aside that time for prayer, somehow it was 11.30, 11.45 before I kind of looked up and went, oh, huh, I was only supposed to do 20 minutes. Sorry, I went over. I don't think God has a problem with that. What did we pray for? There were two things that we were specifically supposed to pray for. Excuse me? Rain. We were supposed to pray for water. We were supposed to pray for God to fill the reservoirs. What happened? Filled the reservoirs in a matter of months. You know, usually it takes years to fill those reservoirs. And in a matter of months, we had full reservoirs to not only 100%, but over 100% in both of our reservoirs. Why? Because we weren't struggling with unbelief. We set that time aside. We went to God and we said, we believe it's in your will for our farmers to have water for irrigation and for our town to survive. We need the water. And we've got water and lots of it. It's awesome. What was the other thing we prayed for? Revival. We prayed for revival. What did we see happen here this morning? New members. We even had a baptism. That's awesome. I love it. Well, you can clap louder than that. It's fine. Okay, yeah. This calendar year, I believe we've had something like, Ethan's going to correct me here, I think we've had something like 15 new members. Is that right? Okay. It's awesome. And, super blessing, I got a text message this week saying that after the service last Sunday, one of our elders spent a couple of hours with a young man who wanted to follow Jesus and accept his salvation. 
When's the last time that happened around here? We prayed for revival. Our church is growing. People are coming to faith. Our numbers for attendance have been at or above where they were last year, despite the clumsy elders standing in the pulpit in the place of our pastor, Mike Fay. Not saying we don't want him to come back. <laughs> Not praying that he will come back, okay? He will come back. However, God has been faithful. When we show up, God is faithful. We can believe him. We can take him at his word. So, it's going to be a little short this morning. You okay with that? I'm a little short. Okay. I have some thought-provoking questions for you because I like to provoke you to thought. Okay? So, what does our lifestyle say about what we believe? You know, we live in a country that is fast-paced, very busy, and affluent. When we worry about safety and security, it's usually about our finances and our stuff. Where is our unbelief in that? We have very busy lifestyles. My question is this. Is there time in your busy schedule for God to work? Or do we have everything so planned out and scheduled out that we are the ones trying to make things happen instead of believing that God will make things happen? What does our lifestyle say about what we believe? Number two, what does our Bible study and reading habits say about what we believe about the Bible? A belief is not a belief until it alters your behavior. If we honestly believe that this is the word of God and has the answers to our longings of our lives, how much time do we spend in here looking for it? The answer. How well do we know what this book says? Not just a couple of books, not a couple of verses that we memorized in Sunday school. Do we know the whole book? Number three, what does our prayer life say about our belief? If we believe that God answers prayer, if we believe that the fervent prayers of a righteous person causes a lot of things to happen, what's our prayer life look like? Is it a little bit here and there? Is it mostly on Sunday morning when we're agreeing with the prayers of the people? If we only pray small, safe, prayers, maybe we only believe in a small, safe God. Okay. Here's one that, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to poke you with it. 
What does our use of God's gifting in our lives, the Bible is really clear that as we become believers and we have the Holy Spirit, God gives us giftings. What does our use of God's gifting say about our belief? Are we using it for the kingdom of God? Are we using it to accomplish his will? Are we using what he gave us to his benefit, not necessarily our own? Because we can have the big house and the 401k and the shiny car, and it does not accomplish God's will. Sometimes, being in a manger in Bethlehem without a roof over your head accomplishes God's will. So if we want to look at the unbelief that made it so that Jesus couldn't do many miracles or couldn't do any mighty works of power, except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. That always cracks me up. I, I don't know about you, but I, when I read the Bible, I, I see stuff that just, yeah, makes me laugh. It's like, okay, really? If we want to accomplish the will of God, we need to know what the will of God is. If we want to see God move and work, we need to open our eyes and look for God to work. If we don't look for where God is working around us, he may be working and we miss it. And then we go, I don't see it. I don't know what God's doing. I don't have any idea. Just like in Isaiah where it says they have closed their eyes. The literal translation is that is they have tightly shut their eyes so that they can't see it. We need to open our eyes and let our beliefs be so involved in the will of God that it alters our behavior. Amen? Amen. We have communion here at FBC every Sunday morning, except on fifth Sundays, like last week. And so I would invite you that if you are a visitor here this morning and you are a believer in Jesus, to have communion with us. We have two stations, well, yeah, three stations. One, two, three, up front here. There's two in the back in the lobby. If you would like to go get your kids from FBC Kids so that you can have communion as a family, that is completely awesome. <laughs> it's not just good, it's awesome. Have communion with your kids. As the worship team comes back up, if you would pray with me, please. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way you speak through your word. Lord, the way you sometimes um, put in there a turn of phrase that makes us stop and think and wonder and sometimes chuckle. But Lord, I pray that we would never read your word in a way that does not change us. We want to be people who are shaped by your word. We want to have your word be one of the highest priorities in our lives. Because, Lord, if we are going to be a people who embody and proclaim the life-giving fullness of the gospel, we need to be word-centered. 
Lord, help us to be that church. Help us to be the people that live out our beliefs in such a way that it looks different to the rest of the world. Otherwise, we're just blending in and we might as well not be here. So, Father, we pray that you would live through us, that you would work in us. Lord, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.